and welcome. Greetings from the Offensive Security Group here at Secure IT 360, coming at you with a new episode of the Cyber Threat Perspective. Uh, it is Friday, and it is time for our weekend review. Uh, the goal here is that we go out and track, research, analyze vulnerabilities, exploits, and different TTPs from different um, areas of our space just so that you don't have to, uh, ultimately with the goal of making you a little bit more prepared today uh, than you were yesterday. So today you've got myself, Brad, and Mr. Spencer as well to talk about uh, three kind of cool stories uh, that we came across this week. Yeah, awesome. Looking forward to it. So uh, we've got a couple of awesome articles uh, and stories to talk about today. Uh, we're going to be talking about macros. Once again, Microsoft Office macros. Uh, we'll talk about Black Cat ransomware and kind of how uh, it's not merely bad luck that Black Cat is attacking organizations. And we'll talk about AIG. It's a threat group that uh, CyberInt, I believe the organization's name, yeah, CyberInt, yeah, researchers Cyber. from CyberInt uh, discovered recently, and uh, that's going to be an interesting one. AIG stands for Atlas Intelligence Group. Uh, it's a new threat group that's been that's emerged. So good stuff in this episode. Uh, looking forward to, to another week of some uh, good conversation and uh, discussion. Sweet. Sweet. So uh, awesome. So the first kind of topic on the agenda is macros. Uh, we talked about this, I think, last week and the week before the that. The week before. This is our third week, week talking about macros, man. <laughs> and uh, it, for those following along, or, or maybe not, Microsoft has gone back and forth and back and forth and back and forth on this macros thing. And uh, kind of the, the TLDR here is uh, on July 21st, which was uh, yesterday, if you're watching this on or listening to this on Friday this week, Microsoft announced that uh, they'd be rolling out auto blocking of VBA macros in Office documents. Now, what they're doing is uh, something that uh, anyone, an IT administrator, can do themselves if they wanted to already. You could go out and do this proactively, but Microsoft is rolling out a change in the default behavior. And that default behavior is to block malicious uh, Office documents that have ma malicious VBA macros in them by default. So Microsoft is going to block these by default if they come from untrusted locations like the internet, from email, things like that. So uh, why this is important, and then we'll kind of talk about some of the sidebars, is this is a big win for security. And uh, this is something we talk about a lot. It's a big initial access vector for ransomware. Uh, VBA macros killing this vector off uh, or blocking these malicious office macros is a big win for kind of killing off this attack vector. Uh, and it's been abused for many, many years. And it's cool to see Microsoft kind of taking ownership of their their products, right? And rolling some of these security defaults in and not, upselling them or, or charging extra for them, but kind of baking the security in. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, interesting that we've gone back and forth and, and after doing a little bit of research, I kind of understand why that, that we took this roundabout way to get here. Um, but I agree with you. I think that for, for whatever inconveniences this might create, um, the, the risk of having macros enabled by mm -hmm. default is just too high. Yeah. You know, 
Yeah. And if you're one of the organizations that has departments that still use macros in documents, right, uh, then there are better ways to allow those things. So you can allow mm-hmm. them through trusted locations, it's called. Uh, there's a various other ways to allow those macros to run. But I think all in all, it's good to could just flat out block them and kind of allow them as they're needed uh, to reduce that attack surface, right? And yeah. As a sidebar to this, something I wanted to bring up was, you know, we're noticing a trend with Microsoft and, like I said, baking in these secure defaults, which is good, right? Uh, some examples of this in other areas, not just in Office macros, but secure defaults in Azure ID, right? Yep. Uh, there's something called secure defaults, and that enables a whole bunch of security settings, most notably multi-factor, right? When you enable those security defaults in Azure AD, that enables MFA across the board, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. Because a lot of times we'll respond to an incident or we'll go uh, pen test an organization and we'll password tray, we'll get a password, we log in, right? No MFA. Yeah. Yep. And that's very common to see. Uh, the other thing is, that was something that was just announced was Windows 11... Uh, the latest build of Windows 11 now has uh, default account lockout policies or a policy to help mitigate RDP and brute force password uh, attacks vectors. And that's, again, combating ransomware, right? Human-operated ransomware, it's very common for them to to get in via brute forcing RDP through malicious office documents, etc. So it's really cool to see kind of Microsoft stepping up to the game a bit on sure. just secure defaults. I agree. I agree hundred percent, man. And and these are, you know, we, we talk about blocking and tackling all the time, right? And yeah. and all Microsoft's really doing is pushing people to do the basics. Yeah. Um, you know, the the minimum standard are the things that you just described. And and if you're not even doing those, um, you know, maybe you get black hat. But we'll talk yeah. about that later. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And one <laughs> of the cool things, uh, the last thing I'll say about this is uh it's being backported. So that feature I said where the account lockout policy supposedly mm-hmm it's being backported to Windows 10. So we'll have to see, um, you know, what comes of that. But uh, Microsoft has a couple articles here uh, I'm sharing, and uh, they have some links to, for not only users, but administrators, right, on how Mm -hmm. to administer Office macros and how to allow them. Um, So uh, some good documentation for them for users and administrators. Yeah, and I think, you know, just to kind of wrap that up to uh, part of the reason Microsoft got a little bit of kickback from what I understand in reading a few articles is that they didn't really give a fair warning to anybody. They just flipped the switch on macro blocking. And there were a substantial number of people who used macros from untrusted sources <laughs> every single day. And it, and it basically nuked their business because they yeah. couldn't figure out how to turn it back on. And so they were like, okay, fine, we'll do it right. And, yep. you know, just like a lot of the things that Microsoft does, right? Well, well-intentioned, yep. awful execution, yep. you know? And so I think this was another uh, illustration of said process. Which is crazy to think because change like that can just cripple, you know, the the mm. workflow of an organization, right? It's it's yeah. the same thing with like when it comes to ransomware, you know, it's 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 denial of servicing your business yeah. um, just through you know, trying to do better and, and make things more secure. It's like if you can cripple an organization by turning these macros off, um, you know, that's a sign that there's some things that need to change probably. Yes. Yeah. That means your organization uh, might need some support from an IT, DR, BCP perspective, right? Yeah. yeah. 
Well, so the next uh, next item on our list is Black Cat. Now, this was an interesting story from Black Cat. Black Cat's a relatively new newcomer to mm-hmm. the ransomware game. Uh, and this article by Sophos was was really good. Um, is it that specific Black Cat? Like the the picture of the <laughs> yeah black yeah. Cat. <laughs> I'm I'm assuming that's the actual cat that's involved. In yes, this, but go, keep going. Yeah, it, it's actually a behind the scenes uh, photo of the actual operator. I thought it might be. I thought attacks. so. Yeah, yeah. 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 Looks like a really smart cat. But anyway, continue. <laughs> uh, so this article kind of reads as a what not to do, or. Uh, you know, if you want to get owned by ransomware, do these things, and and sure enough, you'll you'll probably get ransomware in your environment. So, yeah. you know, if you got a honeypot or something, you know, do these things, and you know, you'll be a prime target. Uh, so this reads like a what not to do, and it's a good lesson learned kind of article. So we can kind of talk about some of the things that we probably all have in our environment that we should pay attention to. Uh, because these are the things that ransomware operators look for and go after. Yep. Uh, so Black Hat uh, targets large organizations, and Sophos did some uh, response uh, on a, a s- several cases since December 2021. And kind of the short story long of the the pattern that they noticed was they the operators exploited a vulnerability in an unpatched or an outdated firewall or VPN device. They established a foothold on that device and then they pivoted to internal systems and kind of went about their way doing what they do once they get in. And in several cases, uh, they obtained VPN credentials from memory of the firewall devices. So these devices were unpatched. They had old versions, right? They had vulnerabilities where you could retrieve the credentials from memory. So they took those, logged in over VPN and... And again, mo- all these cases that Sophos talks about, there was no MFA on those VPN logins. Mm-hmm. And then kind of the story of this, once once an actor gets in, they'll do some lateral movement, privilege escalation if they need to, uh, to get the access that they need, and then they'll deploy their ransomware. And this, Looks like they were targeting ESXi. Yeah, this common. variant particularly uh, likes to target ESXi, right? So yeah. particularly devastating, right? If your ESXi gets... Ransomware, it's it's particularly difficult. Uh, and there's a lot of nuance to this article, and it's a really good read. Mm-hmm. The main reason, like I said, for bringing it up is to kind of illustrate what Black Hat's doing from a, from a technique standpoint and, and a strategy standpoint, and then talk about what not to do and kind of how to mitigate some of these things. Sure. Yeah, you're right. This does read a lot like a how to get ransomware 101. Yeah. And, you know, it's a checklist of, of stuff. And, and you know, again, we've already said blocking and tackling once. I think we're going to have to start doing like, um, you know, paying money every time we use that phrase or something yeah. just, just to cut it down. But but yeah, man. So so look, this article is written, um, you know, this week. Right. Yeah. This week. Yep. And, and we're talking about a, a current threat actor attacking systems that are unpatched for four years. Um, that in and of itself is just borderline neglectful. Um, you know, and, and if you're asking yourself, man, I wonder if my firewall is vulnerable, right? Um, then, then, then maybe um, your asset management and your patch management processes need, need some work. Um, yeah. the, the point is, right, we shouldn't have a security appliance, a VPN slash firewall, whatever, sitting out on the public internet that hasn't been patched. Uh, in yeah. four years. And then to top it off, like you said, not only are they not patched, but they're misconfigured. Uh, I'm calling it misconfiguration because they don't have yep. MFA. 
So it's just tough, man. Yeah. Like, like mistake after mistake after mistake, you know? Yep. Yeah. And a lot of these, you know, we go into organizations, we pen test a lot of organizations, we do assessments and a lot of these things ring true, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you, that you mentioned in some of the other things that this article references is not only legacy software of firewall and VPN devices, but systems running Windows 7, right? A number of systems with old operating systems, uh, yeah. flat networks, right? Uh, <laughs> no MFA, like we talked about. Uh, so you, you pointed to asset management, uh, segregation, you know, yeah, that's a lesson in at least turning on host firewalls on workstations, trying to restrict the communication um, in, in deploying least privilege on those workstations. So yep. a local admin on one workstation is not the same on the other, right? And try yep. and uh, restrict access to those workstations so it's harder for threat actors to deploy ransomware across yeah. the organization. You know, strong passwords, all those things, like you said, blocking yep. and tackling kind of thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, even though we live in the offensive security space, we also recognize the tremendous amount of value that comes in from uh, we call it ISO work, but but it's really process procedure development inside your organization. You know, yep. if, if you don't know uh, where your patch management process is or where your, um, you know, your various procedures and documentation are, if you don't know where those are and, and don't know that they're up to date. You know, this is the kind of stuff that happens, right? It's it's not that anybody's out there intentionally failing at their job. It's just like, oh man, I didn't know I had that VPN, or yep. uh, you know, or we didn't patch it because it wasn't in, you know, yep. it wasn't in uh, SCCM or or yep. something like that, and and suddenly you get here. Yep, and a lot of times too, some smaller organizations with smaller IT staff. Uh, are already stretched thin and they don't understand the true value of asset management and all right. that comes from that. Right. Uh, and then we come in and we do an ISO assessment, like a security assessment and say, yeah, asset management is important. Here's why we do a lot of education in those assessments too. Uh, <laughs> and it's a good opportunity for, for the ISO team to go in and, and kind of talk about the gaps, why they're important. And then importantly, how to fix those, right? How do mm-hmm. how do we actually implement asset management or vulnerability management, whatever it might be that you're kind yeah. of weak on. So uh, yeah, we use this as a, as a learning opportunity uh, and an education opportunity as well. And, and hopefully uh, we allow, we, we help those organizations kind of get better a little bit by little bit day by day and kind of move that, that bar forward on their security programs. Agreed. Yep. It's good stuff. Just a reminder of all of those things. For, for in yeah. this in this one article, there's like seven different like things you hit, and yeah. you're just like, oh, face palm, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a doozy, and it's tough to read sometimes too. When it's like, oh man, like right. Windows Seven, it's been out of support for how long? And these these firmware devices. Um. So yeah, yeah. Uh. So the last last story here is uh, from Cyberint. And they did some research uh, and some intelligence on a new group uh, called Atlas Intelligence Group or AIG, I think also called Atlas Cyber Army, it says in the article. Mm-hmm. So uh, this one is quite interesting. This is kind of a, a new model that, that these researchers say they haven't really seen before. Uh, the leader's supposed name uh, or handle, I guess, is Mr. Eagle, which is kind of interesting in and of itself. Like, I yeah. kind of like it. You know, Mr. I, yeah. um, it, it's a good break from the leet speak really short like names that 
that, that you can't articulate. So yeah. good job, Mr. Eagle, for at least letting us be able to pronounce your name. Yeah. So the reason this group was interesting is uh, the operator or the operators uh, that are kind of running this group appear to be outsourcing the actual hacking activities. And what they're doing is they're calling on these individual red teamers, they call them uh, in their communications or cyber mercenaries, if if you want to have like a crazy buzzword. Right, right. Uh, (laughs) Cyber mercenaries, it's going to be a the thing now but they're they're using these independent contractors right to do the actual hacking activities and they're kind mm-hmm. of taking a step back from that work to remain anonymous and to avoid uh you know being identified and, and being uh you know sought after prosecuted and all that stuff yep some of the services they offer uh are ddos leaked database uh dumps and then also initial access. So access to organizations or access to like admin panels and things like that. Mm-hmm. And VIP services, which is like they define as sensitive information on, you know, individuals. So it's interesting uh, in a couple a couple uh, ways is that, like I said, they're, they're kind of outsourcing the hacking activity. They're using a various number of, they offer a various number of services, mm-hmm. which is kind of unique too. Um, and the article goes into a lot more detail about the group and, and what they offer and things like that. Um, so yeah, I thought this was an interesting one to talk about, um, you know, and, and bring up that, you know, this could be a trend going forward. And, and certainly this article doesn't, uh, talk about ransomware a whole lot, but one of the speculations is a group like this could potentially pivot to ransomware, uh, and be fairly successful at it. Agreed. Um, so, so we actually hit on this, like in one of our first two or three videos, uh, or, or podcast or whatever, um, in that, um, we're, we're going to see more well-organized business models, right. Coming from these guys. And, and a lot of people don't know this, right. So the, when, when you get a phishing email, um, there are already five different hackers slash bad actors involved in the process that led to that point. Right. So, you know, there are spammers, there are people who control the botnets, there are people who farm credentials or people who farm emails. And, and so in most cases, there's kind of a forum where you can buy and sell stuff, you know, in, in the, in the older days of phishing, phishing attacks, um, you know, there would be the actual attacker would stand up the phishing page, but he would pay somebody else to send the emails. Right. And that mm-hmm. still happens to some degree. Um, and, and even then the, the attacker and the spammer, they didn't write the malware. Right. And, yep. and then they're going to just sell the credentials that they form. They're not, themselves going to individually go log in. So I, I bring that up because the idea of a bad actor business model is not new. Yep. What What is interesting about this though, is you're starting to see instead of, cause you know, the old big wigs in the, in the, in the criminal underworld were people who ran the forums where people would buy and sell and exchange information. And so the idea though, that, you know, this person is going to become the Walmart of hackers and and run this environment where he is buying and selling at an and you know and controlling at an individual or small group level yep. the activities of the business that is relatively new 
there are some other examples of that out there. But like you said, usually you, you just kind of belong to that group, but you know, he's just outsourcing it. Yep. Which is kind of neat. Right. So, um, yep. you know, I don't expect this is going to be the last time we have conversations about the various business models that bad actors use. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's interesting to follow along. Um, yeah. but this model probably will stay. Yeah. I don't see any reason it wouldn't stay. Yeah. And, uh, uh, for those watching on on, on YouTube, I'm, I'm scrolling through the Cyberant article and I have to be somewhat cautious because there's some unsavory language in some of the screenshots that are sure, yeah. that have been found. Um, but uh, the article goes on to mention that the leader of this, Mr. Eagle, seems to be fairly, uh, I guess, level-headed or reasonable and, and sophisticated, right? It's yeah. here, it would appear that they've been around for a while. They kind of know the criminal underworlds and kind of how to run these things. They know a lot about the attacks that these groups uh, or these independent contractors are performing. Uh, so they, they appear to be fairly sophisticated, right? And it's one to pay attention to and keep an eye on. Now the, the article also talks about victimology a little bit and they don't, uh, while they don't appear to have a specific industry or region, uh, right. that they're that they're operating in they're kind of opportunistic in a way uh however when they look at their e-commerce store which is where they kind of sell access to these things right it looks like according to the article it looks like the database dumps are maybe uh, government related a lot of the database dumps seem to be government related whereas the rdp and web shell access that they're selling uh, appears to belong to education, finance, manufacturing industries. So right. something to kind of to key in on if you're in those industries to maybe pay attention to and, and keep an eye on. Um, one other interesting thing that I thought was kind of buried in this article was that this group voluntarily hunts and docks pedophiles worldwide. So they kind of do right. like a public service. Uh, right. you know, they, they might be criminals, but they, they still don't like bad people who do bad things. Just, I guess, odd. And ironic, it is in a way. Yeah, I, I've I've noticed the clash of morals in the cyber community world because I think it's right. easy for people to emotionally disconnect from cyber crime. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, I just stole money from a random corporation, or you know, this is a file that uh, contains the identities of a thousand random people, and and they they disconnect the humanity aspect of it, and yep. and I think it allows them this sort of. Um, you know, ability to act like, oh, I'm not really doing anything wrong. And, and, you know, so it, it's an interesting psychological dynamic that yeah. I've noticed is, is a lot of these folks do not see what they do as, as criminal. Yeah. And the, the, uh, interviews, you know, you see those interviews from time to time from the threat actors and they get picked up. Uh, it's always interesting to read those, to see how they view the world, right. The, yeah. To see, to kind of empathize with them a bit in their situation where they are and, and how they perceive the world and why they've made the choices they make. Um, it's interesting, right? It, it is. It's, it's interesting and it's, it's worth reading and, and uh, looking into those things uh, from a psychology standpoint to understand those attacks better or those attackers better. Um, but yeah, it's kind of interesting dichotomy, right? Like they clearly don't like, pedophiles and, and people who do horrible rotten things but they're willing to kind of hack companies and and you know put right. their livelihood in jeopardy right so yeah yeah they're they're willing contrast. to nuke uh you know the nuke uh an individual's identity um you know but certain things are okay and certain things aren't 
Yeah. You know, and I guess they arbitrarily decide that, which is yeah. w- which is kind of, I think, what what I like to think separates the the good guys from the bad guys is that we, you know, we feel as strongly about doing our job as they do about theirs. Yep. So. Yeah, and doing an ethical, yeah. professional manner. You know, right? Always, always taking the high road of of any given situation. Sure, I'd like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I yeah. think that's all we have, man. Yeah, that's it for today. Sweet. Um, all right, folks. So that's all we have for you. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. Um, and you can like, subscribe, all that good stuff. You know, we're on YouTube, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, and also on um, Twitter. And we have a blog at offsec.blog. So hope to see you there. Have a good weekend.